0: Turning Points change the course of our lives, whether it's a big decision, overcoming an obstacle or tragedy, or taking a leap of faith. These stories of inspiration and resilience are what Turning Point is all about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Turning Point. I'm your host, Priya Sam, and this week my guest is Zeba Khan. Zeba moved from Bangladesh to Vancouver in 2015 for school. Now, growing up, she was very quiet and shy, but that all changed after her turning point, which we'll hear more about shortly. Today, Zeba is a sexual and reproductive health researcher, a health equity advocate and educator, and she is also the founder of Free Periods Canada. Thank you so much for being here today, Zeba. Thanks for having me, Priya. So I want to go back to your childhood to begin with. Uh, What was life like for you in Bangladesh?
1: Honestly, it feels like it was a long time ago. (laughs) And um, when I think about it, um, it was actually pretty boring. There really wasn't much going on. I definitely was not talking about periods. Um, I would go to school, I would come back home, and then I would have tutors teaching me about things that wasn't covered in school. And then it was pretty much rinse and
0: repeat on a schedule every day. You have mentioned um, in your pre-interview that you were very shy and and quiet mm-hmm. at this time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I was very reserved. Um, and I have a lot of opinions, very strong opinions. But I didn't necessarily have the confidence to be actually, you know, talking to people about what was going on in my head. So I would come off as um, very, like, reserved. And I think, when I think about it, um, I think one example that comes to mind is, um, you know, whenever we would organize something in school, I was often the one taking the initiative. Um, But I liked being in the background, you know, I would write the script for someone and then i would send someone else to go and talk to let's say an authority figure um and i liked being in the the back end of things and there's nothing wrong with it it was just like i had a different personality almost
0: um in your work you talk a lot about your lived experience uh, as a muslim woman so what do you remember about the cultural experience around your menstrual cycle during your teenage years Yeah.
1: So I think like thinking about growing up and, you know, getting my first period, um, I think um, we were, we weren't really talking about it. You know, Um, I think the only time periods would come up is when I would need pads and I would talk to my mom about it. Um, She would somehow like either go and get it herself or get one of my brothers to buy it for me. Um, and they would put it in a brown paper bag and leave it very discreetly in my room. So every month it would just magically appear. Uh, but there really wasn't um, an environment where we could talk about it. So I actually remember growing up, um, it, I, I struggled quite a bit with my menstrual cycle. Um, and uh, my pay periods were quite painful, but we never talked about it. It was a normal thing. And, um, you know, you're,
0: there really wasn't an opportunity to have a discussion. Do you remember at the time feeling awkward or wishing things were different? Or was this more something that you would say you kind of thought more about in a reflective way later on?
1: It was definitely reflective. Um, and there were so many, uh, you know, little like incidents that have happened. And I never really thought about it in the moment. Um, And one thing that uh, comes to mind is that uh, I remember one day, I remember this time when my mom, she was away for the whole day. And that was the day period I got my period um, and we didn't have any pets in the house. I remember my uncle was uh, at home and he was uh, babysitting and he was kind of like taking care of us that day. Um, and I needed pads, but because we didn't have that, um, relationship or because it wasn't normal for me to go and talk about this with anybody other than my mom, I couldn't ask for it. So I remember I was just like in my room. I remember crying a lot, um, because I didn't know what to do. And it was such a simple problem. There was a store right across from our house and he would be able to get it. And I didn't feel comfortable, you know, going out while I'm bleeding. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and I remember I was just like in my room the whole day, waited for my mom to come back. And then, you know, being a teenager, I was like, mom, why did you do this to me? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I think that, that, that experience sums up what it was like growing up. And not being able to talk about periods, um, and at that time, obviously it happened. I didn't really think about it, uh, but after I started working with Free Periods Canada, and I like started reflecting on my experiences, um, I started thinking about all these like different like little things that happened growing up, um, which doesn't sound very nice now that I think about it. <laughs>
0: Well, it's so interesting because obviously in the moment you only have mm-hmm. your own experience and maybe the experiences of, of the people around you. Um, mm-hmm. so kind of having this, this chance to reflect, and I know things mm-hmm. really changed for you, um, when you came to Canada. So I'm curious as someone who, um, you know, was very shy and quiet, mm-hmm. what was going through your mind as, uh, you made the journey to this new country? Honestly, I think I
1: was very excited. Um. And I don't think I really understood the weight of the decision that I had made. Um, And, you know, like in in the beginning, when we talked about it, I uh, kind of shared that I, I was very like I had a lot of strong opinions. I just wasn't sharing them with people. And I had a whole plan for my life, a very ambitious plan for my life all in my head and I think that um when I decided that I was going to move to Canada that was probably the first step that I took and that was actually practical and that um you know made me uh, that was actually one step towards um you know my my the vision that I had for myself so I was excited um but I don't think I really understood um how difficult it would be to actually leave everything um, behind and starting from scratch in a completely different country um, and in a completely new language.
0: Yes, and you came here for school as well. So there's this added layer of, of going yeah. to, into a brand new education system. Um, what made mm-hmm. you choose Canada?
1: Um, so I, uh, my elder brother, he was living in Toronto at that time. Um, and so I think I remember when I had this conversation for my parents, it was a little bit easier to uh, think about, you know, having two children in the same country uh, versus like me going to a completely different country. <laughs> and I remember the conversation that I had with my parents. They were like, oh, but if we want to go on vacation, we want to be able to go to one country. We don't want to have to worry about two different countries. <laughs> That's a silly little tangent, but um, I think it was pretty much like my parents um, they wanted me to be co- they wanted to be comfortable with this idea and uh, for like you know everything else logistically, it just made sense for both siblings to be in the same country even though it wasn't like the same province.
0: Yes, that's right, because he was in Toronto and then you ended up moving to Vancouver, which honestly is almost like being in another country. (laughs) It is quite far, yeah. (laughs) So your turning point happened not long after you came to Canada and it was sparked by a video. So tell me what you saw.
1: Yeah, so i was uh, pretty much on youtube like most people are these days um and i came across this video about people in north america who are homeless and they don't have access to menstrual supplies um and uh the video was about um you know how when you don't have access you have to use things like socks newspapers and a whole list of really like um uncomfortable things to manage your periods And that for me was really, really surprising because I grew up in a developing country and um, and I used to think that a lot of these problems like period poverty, things like that, they are like a problem in developing countries. And I couldn't, like, I just didn't understand that we would have it in North America as well. Um and so when I saw that video I realized that it's not really a developing country problem you know it is a global problem um and also I think I was really angry because it just didn't make sense to me you know why would we be penalized for something that we have no control over um and like you mentioned I had just moved into this new country I was just you know super excited about everything Um, And when I saw that video, I thought to myself that I could do something about it. You know, even if it's something really small, I felt
0: the agency to be able to make a difference. So yeah, so you really described this this video that you know yeah it was obviously mm-hmm. surprising and and I'm sure it was very sad to see that and something that you wouldn't yeah. expect to see um, in in North America. So um, you mentioned that you know after seeing this you wanted to try and do something. So what did mm-hmm. you do?
1: So after seeing the video, I called one of my friends. Um, I don't have a car. I couldn't drive at that time and, um, and but I wanted to give out some period products um, in like Vancouver. So I called one of my friends and we went to Walmart together. Um, and I just, I think I had about like a hundred dollars saved up um, and I used that to buy a couple of pads and tampons. Um, and then we went around um, the bank, we went around Vancouver, distributing them in different uh, shelters um, in the city and that felt really nice you know it felt like i did something tangible um and after that i kind of came back and i remember uh making a post on facebook and i asked you know if there were anyone else who would want to do it with me maybe next month we could um i kind of like very casually posted about it like you know hey let's get together we'll do this like thing um there were a lot of people that were interested and then um, that led to us organizing something that was a little bit bigger. You know, some of my friends, some of um, some like the people that I knew in my network coming together, bringing pads and tampons, and, and you know, putting together these care packages, um, and then going out and distributing them in the city. Uh, and that was the start. That was the start of Free Periods Canada. Um, and, uh, we just kind of like continued doing these packaging events and grew from there.
0: So many people would have had the same feeling you had mm-hmm. after watching that video, but so few people would have done what you did and, and actually taken action. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, just at a grassroots level, gone to the store, bought these products, figured out which shelters to donate them to. I mean, when you look back at that, what was it in you that, That made you feel like, you know, I need to actually take action and do something about this. Um,
1: So, yeah, growing up, uh, my grandmother and I, we we used to do these uh, drives where we would collect clothes from my family members and then redistribute them in the community. Um, So I had this kind of like experience uh, growing up where um, I would whenever we would see a problem, we would take an action. Um, And so when I moved here, I saw this problem. It was just a very like natural thing for me to do. Um, And I kind of just like leaned into um, these like instincts and uh, yeah, that. And also I felt like, I felt like it was doable for me. You know, it just felt like um, even if it was a little step, I I felt like I could do something about it.
0: I love, I love this part of your story. I mean, that you just felt this. You know, like you had to do something about this, you Mm -hmm. picked up, you did something, posted about it on Facebook, it starts to grow. I wonder, I know we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, you were very quiet and shy Mm -hmm. when you were younger. Was this um, a point where you kind of noticed a shift in your personality as well?
1: So I think that being able to achieve something uh, in a small and manageable scale gave me all the skills that I needed to be able to do,
0: you know, bigger things. You mentioned uh, your academics as well. And I know we said you came to Canada for school, but were you studying yeah. in this field already in, in reproductive health?
1: No, actually, I wasn't at all. Um, so for my bachelor's, I actually did uh, a neuroscience and uh, physiology. So that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. Um, I really like loved understanding like the human brain and how, um, how we make decisions Um, but after I started working with Free Periods Canada and being in like the reproductive health field uh, for my master's, I decided to go into sexual and reproductive health. Um, And yeah, I think it was partly just seeing that there really aren't a lot of women and not a lot of women of color who talk about this. Um, I just felt like, I had the opportunity, and I also have like the practical experience to really make a, a
0: difference in the the research um, academic world. That's so interesting. How really this changed not just the course of you know your work mm-hmm. that you were doing to help others, but also the course of your research as well. Mm-hmm. So tell me about going from, you know, this very grassroots initiative, you're distributing um, menstrual supplies to shelters, you post on Facebook, you get some other people on board, it becomes a little bit bigger. When yes. did you actually found Free Periods Canada? And, and what did that look like?
1: Yeah. um. So I think one of the things that I really liked about the way Free Periods Canada grew was that it was very organic, you know? So initially... It was a club at uh, the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Um, and uh, we, we became a club in 2016. Um, and then a couple of years down the road, I felt like, you know, I'm ready to take on another challenge. So we registered as a nonprofit society. And so that was around 2019. So since then, um, Free Periods Canada has been operating almost like a business, almost like a startup. Um, And uh, last year, uh, we hired our first full-time employee, which was a big milestone for us
0: um, and a big milestone for me
1: personally.
0: Yes, absolutely. Wow, well, congratulations. And you've been doing that and your studies at the same time.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, I wear many different hats and yeah, I have been able to balance uh, the nonprofit and schoolwork.
0: Wow. Yeah, that must be really busy. Um, Speaking of school, you have advocated for providing free menstrual products on university campuses. So how did that become an, um, an additional area of focus for you?
1: Yeah. So oh, since we started as a club, uh, we had, you know, over the years had a lot of relationships that developed with university administrators. Um, you know, the student union of UBC has been very supportive of the work that we do. Um, and we noticed that when you think about university populations, this is a group that will eventually become the next, you know, politicians, the the next mothers, right, and the next parents. So we felt that, you know, we know this space very well. We can relate to it because we're all students. Um, and, you know, people also know about the work we're doing. Um. So we kind of, um, and as a nonprofit, you have very limited resources. So we decide that decided that this is probably where we're going to be able to make the most impact with the least amount of resources. So it just became like, you know, very like naturally, it became a very good fit for the focus of our work.
0: And how did you see the impact of your work in, in these early days, both between um, the work you were doing f- um, in distributing products to some of the shelters and, and also at the university?
1: I think that one of the things, um, and this is probably the reason why, the menstrual equity movement in general grew so big, so fast, is because when you are distributing products or when you uh, pass, you know, a policy mandating that men- menstrual supplies should be made free and available, you can see the change very, like, clearly. Um, for me personally, the change was that you know after UBC. Um, decided to put period products in all the washrooms, Um, I remember that, you know, I was running back and forth between classes. um, And um, I think one of those days, and I think most people are often caught off guard. um, I think one one of these days I had, um, I didn't have a pad on me, but I kind of felt, Great, knowing that, okay, I know that this bathroom in this building has it. So I personally felt the the difference of, you know, like the collective work that we do. And I really want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's a team effort. It's not just me. We are a pretty big team. So um, it's a lot of us like working to make it happen. <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, and it's such important work that you're doing. Um, I know, you know, conversations about periods and menstruating are still uncomfortable, um, for a lot of people. Um, as we've been talking about, it is certainly more stigmatized in, in mm-hmm. some communities as well. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that there are very few women of, of color mm-hmm. working, um, in reproductive health, in the healthcare space in general. Yeah. So, what are some of the extra hurdles um, that women of color deal with?
1: I think to really like answer that, I think we need to talk a little bit about why the stigma exists in the first place. Um, and so from um, our work, what we've seen is that um, the stigma kind of, so, so from, from our, from my experience, what I've seen is that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about periods and um, it gets passed down from generations to generations. And um, if there are no interventions, and if someone doesn't like stop you and tell you that, hey, like, this is wrong, this is this is not what it's supposed to be like, it just keeps getting like, you know, passed down, right. Um, and I think that um, in like certain communities, with like, you know, people of color, um, I kind of see that people always expect um, a lot of the times people expect women of color to be uh, kind of just to like nod along and go along with everything. So what I've seen in, in these communities is that you don't actually like talk about it. And the, it's just a lot more uncomfortable to talk about it um, almost because of all, all of these like societal expectations that people have. Um, so it seems to all of the, the stigma kind of, it seems to persist a little bit longer in those uh,
0: communities. So that's kind of like what I've I've seen and I've personally experienced. I know you share your perspective um, and some of the experiences we talked about earlier from um, from your teenage years as well. Um, do you find that that resonates with some of the communities that you know might not typically be part of these conversations?
1: Mm-hmm. I think so. Like, I think that even now, um, when you talk to people, they share like similar stories, you know, they talk about how they needed like pads. And, um, you know, they just they felt uncomfortable asking, let's say, like the school administrator who had all of these pads, uh, because it was a male um and they just didn't feel comfortable asking for it um so we've heard a lot of stories that are similar uh, to kind of like some of the experiences that i had um and i think that's why i really like the work that we do because we are actively trying to break down these barriers and make you know something as basic as period products accessible
0: right <laughs> It's so interesting because um, as you were telling me this, I, I was just thinking of this incident with my husband actually, where, um, he was going grocery shopping and I was like, oh, I need tampons. I was like, oh, I should just get them myself. You know, I don't want to like make him feel awkward getting them. And so I told him this, you know, like, oh, I'll just go get them myself. And he was like, I can get you tampons. Like it's, yes. it's no different than buying toilet paper. Like I'm not, embar- mm-hmm. and then I realized too, I mean, obviously I'm a woman of color as well. And mm-hmm. I, fe- I grew up in a, a family where we didn't really talk about these things mm-hmm. either. It was, uh, it was very similar to the experience yeah. you're describing, you know? And so, um, but I didn't think about that being weird until he was like, oh, well, yeah. I, I would have, he has a sister and I would have bought tampons for my sister. And this is like, yeah. so I, I, I feel that it's not maybe not something I have thought about until Mm -hmm. I was preparing for this interview with you. Right. Um, But it's so interesting how when you reflect on these things, like Mm -hmm. the ideas that have been ingrained in you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's really surprising is that the same uncle um, that, you know, was uh, taking care of us back, uh, back then, you know, in my teenage years, he he is so proud of the work that I do. He's like always sharing everything that we do on Facebook. You know, he's like the biggest champion. And then just within my family as well, like very similar to what you've shared, my brother, he's just so open and he just, you know, he's just, he feels so comfortable talking about it. Um, And I think that a lot of us, you know, we have this idea in our head that, you know, this is something we should not talk about. And because we grow up with this idea, you know, many of us, we, we don't challenge it. You know, we just, we're kind of like, yeah, like, let's not talk about it. <laughs> um, but in, in my experience, uh, I've seen that when you have the courage to bring it up and have a conversation, most of the time, um, except for some internet trolls. <laughs> most of the time, most, um, male members of my family and in my network have been very understanding and very receptive to having a conversation.
0: That's so great to hear. And I wonder, you know, in these conversations, how important is it to have men at the table and, and men as allies as well? Yeah, I think that it's very important. Um, and, um,
1: I thought about this, you know, I think that in order to make a sustainable change, um, it has to come down through like a, through legislative changes, through like an actual policy. Um, and in order to make those changes, a lot of the decision makers right now are men. You know, these are people that have never experienced a period and they've never had to get up in the middle of a meeting to go and find a pad, right? So, um, we do have to bring them in the conversations because if they don't know what's going on, it's going to be very hard to get them get get them on board when it comes down to passing um, a policy. Um, and also just thinking about the work we've done, every time we did have a conversation, every time we got like allies and men to sit down and talk about it, it was it was very, it was pretty much like I didn't know that you went through this. Like, I didn't know that you guys don't have it available. Um, So, yeah, just uh, to answer your question, I think it's very important um, to have them involved in the conversation.
0: Yes. And I think that you're right. I mean, they don't have the lived experience. But I think um, anyone who has a menstrual cycle has been in that position where you've you've needed something and you you forgot to pack, you know, a pad or a tampon and you've had to run around or discreetly ask a friend in class or whatever the situation may be. So, Mm -hmm. um, but that's so great to hear that, that people have been so receptive, uh, Mm -hmm. to the, to this work that you're doing. Do you have, is there anything right now that you're really focused on or that, that you're working with, um, with free periods Canada?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things, um, so I, myself uh, come from a research background and a lot of our team members do as well. So we're very much evidence driven. You know, our first thing is um, even before we launch a new program, we kind of go back to the community and we um, have a very like research oriented approach to uh, different initiatives that we have in the organization. So a couple of, uh, like in 2020, we. conducted a a community consultation and we wanted to understand like why does the menstrual stigma still exist um you know we're doing so much work but are we actually doing are we actually making an impact um and what we found is that the best way to intervene would be to um, provide educational workshops as early as possible. So in high schools, um, before people develop this idea that there is a stigma on menstruation, like before people develop this idea that periods are stigmatized, you know. So uh, we shifted our focus a little bit. Uh, We're focusing more on um, educational workshops and delivering Um, you know, awareness based workshops to people. Um, And very recently, we uh, launched a digital network where folks could come and connect, share resources. Um, And the hope is that eventually, we're gonna make all of our educational resources accessible to
0: anybody in Canada. That's amazing. Do you feel like you've really found your life's purpose in this work? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly,
1: I get so excited like I could talk all day about periods, about, you know, sexual underproductive health. Um, I definitely think that when I moved here, this was not the career or this was not what I envisioned myself doing, uh, but I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: So much has happened um, since you saw that video in in 2016. And it's obvious just from hearing you speak that you are very passionate um, about this work. You've done so much in such a short time. Um, What are you most excited about as you look to the future of of your career and your work?
1: I think that uh, thinking about Free Periods Canada specifically, um, I'm really excited to um, have it become a sustainable organization. So um, it's so interesting that with this organization, I grew as a person, like it, the work that I do, it kind of forces me to learn new skills, you know, it forces me to um, figure out new ways uh, to get things done. And I think we're at a stage where I'm now having to learn how to run a business because a nonprofit is almost like a business. So I think like I'm really excited about this new phase that we're entering where um, this little club, little initiative that I had is now becoming a thriving nonprofit. Um, And with that, I'm also learning how to become a better leader, how to, you know, learn how to like learn how to operate um, something like this.
0: Well, I am so grateful to you for sharing your story today, um, for sharing your insights. I feel like I learned a lot um, <laughs> just from hearing uh, about your work. So thank you so much. And we look forward to uh, continuing to follow you and uh, to see where this work leads you in the future.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always
0: um, a great opportunity like to talk about our work. Absolutely. It's such important work. So thank you again, Zeba. It was great to have you. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for watching and listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow the show and subscribe on YouTube. And hey, you can find me on social media at Priya Sam. Until next time, take good care of yourselves and of each other.